Amen. And uh, like we said last service, I'll say it again this service, it is just a continual blessing to be able to sing and worship the Lord together with the saints here at UBC. Thankful to worship with you today. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Um, As you're turning there, I just want to mention two quick things. First of all, if you are new with us today, I just want to give you a warm welcome. I know that Rob already gave the welcome at the beginning of the service. I just want to reiterate that. We know that if you're new here, you could have been doing a hundred different things this morning, Um, but the fact that you've chosen to be here uh, is a blessing to us, and I believe that it is on purpose by God that he has you here for a good reason. Uh, And if you will open your heart to him, I trust that he will speak to all of us today as we open our hearts to what he's saying to us. But if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, If you're new, um, it's also probably important for you to know that we have been in a um, financial campaign for the past two years that we've called Make Him Known. Make Him Known has been about really calling us as a church to um, give and serve and pray and get involved like never before to make the name of Christ known around the world. Uh, we are wrapping up that campaign here at the end of 2023. Um, but last Sunday, we really were encouraging the church to finish out um, their giving commitments, to finish strong with that. We did something special last week called our Finish Strong Offering. And last week was just an incredible blessing. I just want to give just a quick bit of praise report to you guys on that. Um, The first thing that I want to share is the children's response. Uh, Our children were participating in this offering, saving up their change, turning it in. Um, Last week, I got the report that our kiddos gave $1,565.10 to God's work. Can we praise the Lord for that together? That was awesome. Churchwide, uh, churchwide, over $276,000 was given last week, which means that about $200,000 of that is going to go straight towards paying down our loan and another $70,000 divided out between the mercy ministries that we highlighted in November. And so I just want to say to you as a church family, church family, like, I am thankful to the Lord for your continued generosity and support for our church and for God's work around the world. Uh, your giving is making a difference, and I just want to say thank you. This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series called The Wonders of His Love. And in this sermon series, as we go into the Christmas season, uh, my hope is that this sermon series will help each of us remember and then rejoice in the, the wonderful aspects of God's love for us. You know, there are aspects of God's love that are truly wonderful. They're astonishing. They're surprising. They, they just kind of catch our attention in a special way. Last week, I talked to you guys about um, God's inherent love and how it, it really does kind of just blow your mind to think that God is love. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about God's predetermined love. God's predetermined love. That's what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk to you about how Scripture teaches that God loved you. If you're a Christian, God loved you before there was a you, right? Before you ever existed. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, which states um, that God chose us really before the foundation of the world, that in love he predestined us to himself. So this text we're going to look at today is all about God's predetermined love. Now, last week... uh, we kicked off, I kicked off the sermon with a, an illustration and song, and I sang you a nice special solo. I will not be doing that today, but I will be talking about songs again. Uh, and if you grew up in the 90s, like if you, were, if you were in high school in the 90s like me, you know that the 90s gave us some gems when it came to love songs, okay? So for instance, uh, 1991, Michael Bolton gave us 
when a man loves a woman, right? We got some head nods. Some of you like really like that song. That's funny. Okay, 1992, um, 1992 Whitney Houston's uh, I Will Always Love You came out, super powerful love ballad. 1994, a song came out called um, Only Want to Be With You by Hootie and the Blowfish. Not a great song, just wanted to say the name Hootie and the Blowfish from the stage. Most hilarious band name of all time. 1997, uh, a song came out called, uh, what was the name of this one? Um, as Long As You Love Me by the Backstreet Boys. I don't like the Backstreet Boys. Here's the thing. Backstreet Boys, those little like uh, boy bands were like a thing in the 90s, you know, they kind of got cool. But just most of us know that song. Here's what I want. Have you ever thought about the lyrics to that song? I don't care who you are, what you did, where you're from as long as you love me. Like, that song, that's a messed up song. Right? You might as well just rename that song like, I'm totally desperate. Right? Like, that should be the title, you know? Uh, that's 1997. 1999, 1999 um, a band named Savage Garden put out a love ballad that was called this, I knew I loved you before I met you. Right? Some of you guys are looking at each other in the eyes like, oh yeah, we sang that to each other. I see you. All right, so now I want you to think about the words to this song, right? Here's the words of the song. Maybe it's intuition, but some things you just don't question. Like in your eyes, I see my future in an instant, and there it goes. I think I've found my best friend. Aww. I know it might sound more than a little crazy, but I believe I knew I loved you before I met you. I think I dreamed you into life. I knew I loved you before I met you. I have been waiting all my life. I knew I loved you before I met you. Oh, isn't that so sweet, right? Now, so, here's the, I'm watching some of you while I'm quoting these words. Some of you are quoting it with me, which means you sing it to each other, right? You probably sing it to each other or to an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, right? But little did you know that you were singing such a theologically rich song, okay? Because what we're going to see from Ephesians chapter 1 is that God did indeed love us before we were born. Uh, he predestined us to be his own. Anytime we talk about predestination, it gets people nervous. It's always a little bit tense, creates a little tension whenever we talk about it. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any time at all, you know that there's the great debate about this. Did God choose us? Did we choose him? Is our salvation all about God's sovereignty? Does it include any of man's responsibility? There are um, all sorts of thoughts and opinions about this matter, and some people are very passionate about their thoughts and opinions on this matter. So I thought we'd just have a little lighthearted Christmas sermon for today. We're going to talk about predestination at Christmas, okay? So here we go. Um, in all seriousness, I, uh, I, I know that this can be such a tender topic for, you know, people. There's been church splits over this, denominational divides, all sorts of things. Um, I want to talk about this subject today, but I want to talk about it, Lord willing, uh, with care and uh, with clarity, faithfulness from God's Word. And here's how I want to work through today's message, very similar to last week. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to read our text from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Then I want to teach through that text in three parts. I want to talk today about what God's predetermined love doesn't mean, then I want to talk about what it does mean, and then I want to talk about how 
God's predetermined love should lead us to respond, okay? And then we're going to end like we did last week with a congregational responsive reading based off of Scripture. So that's where we're going. Let me read our text for today, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. God's Word says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Thanks be to God for His good and perfect word. Let's jump right into the first section of this message today. I want to talk to you first of all about what God's predetermined love doesn't mean. And I'm going to give you two things right away that it doesn't mean. And I want to start out by giving you these two things because if I jumped right into what it does mean, you would be thinking about these two things and wondering if it totally negates what I'm going to teach you later. So let's just start out with the kind of the big objections and the big issues, the big questions that come up. We'll start out with those right away. Here's the first thing God's predetermined love doesn't mean. First of all, it doesn't mean that you don't make choices. Right? It doesn't mean that you don't make choices. So many times, whenever the topic of predestination comes up, one of the things that people will immediately default to is, is they'll, they'll kind of think like, well, that just means we don't make any choices. Like we don't have any will, we don't have any volition, we can't make decisions. But that is not what the doctrine of predestination addresses. All right? Predestination, um, really, as we're going to see in, in just a few minutes, predestination has to do with... Um, the destination of our souls, like where we are going to end up in relationship with God, right? So that's the thing. In other words, predestination doesn't really address things like whether or not it was predetermined for you to live in the house where you live now, or to park in the parking spot that you parked in when you came, or, you know, the seat that you chose when you sat down in the service. Like, that's not predestination. Those things are, they are included in doctrines of sovereignty, and more specifically, God's providence. But they are not included in the doctrines of predestination, so I just want to make sure we limit the topic that we're talking about today. Um, and yes, right away, I want to say that the Scripture teaches very clearly that God made human beings with the ability to make choices and decisions all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve could have chosen to eat the fruit or not. God held them accountable for their decisions. So, you know, very clearly all through Scripture, we are called to choose. Choose to obey the Lord your God. Choose this day who you will serve. You go on and you hear, you know, the teaching and the preaching and the response uh, of the people who heard the apostles preaching and teaching, you know that people make choices when it comes to their salvation, um, when it comes to their standing with the Lord. Here's the thing I guess I want you to understand right away. Yes, we make choices in the process of salvation, but here's the thing. Any choice you've ever made that has been out of this um, understanding that Christ died for your sins and he was buried and rose again on the third day and that sin is an offense to God and, and this response to repent of your sin and trust in Christ. If you've ever made any of those decisions or choices for faith and repentance, it's only because God made the choice to love you first. It's only because God made the choice to take the spiritual blinders off your eyes. You know, dead men, spiritually dead people, can't make spiritual decisions. They've got to come alive first, right? And so God, in his goodness and kindness, loves us first, moves on us first, acts on us first, and then we respond. Now, 
We're going to talk again more about all that in just a minute. But predestination does not mean we don't make choices. The second thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that God chooses people for hell. It doesn't mean that God chooses people for hell. Now, again, this is another response that gets thrown out there whenever conversations about predestination arise. People will say this. They'll say things like, well, if God chose some for heaven, then that means he chose the rest for hell. And that is something known as the doctrine of double predestination. Um, And I understand why people kind of logically go there in their minds and that kind of thing. But here's just a couple things that I've come to understand along the way and my years of thinking about this. The first is that, you know, we need to remember the basics when it comes to humanity and our need for salvation and that kind of thing. The reason why we need a Savior is because we are sinners condemned for our sin. Let's not forget that the Bible teaches that all men have sinned, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of our sin, Romans 6.23 says, is death. In other words, our sin rightly condemns us. Our, because of our sin, God is just and right to give us the punishment that we deserve, the condemnation, and to condemn us to hell. So when we choose to sin, we become rightly culpable for our sins. So let me just say it this way. If God were to choose to save no one, and everyone who's ever lived had all been condemned and been destined for hell, then we would all simply be getting what we deserve, and God would have done nothing wrong. So God giving people the condemnation that they already deserve is not the same as predestining them for hell. Secondly, and in some ways more importantly, I, I want to affirm uh, as a pastor and as a Christian, I want to affirm what the Bible teaches. I think we should be very leery of suggesting that the Bible teaches something that it doesn't. So while logically it, makes, it might make sense to you to say, well, if God chose some for heaven, then that means he chose other people to, for hell. I simply don't see a strong case for that in Scripture. And I think we need to be cautious of trying to make a strong case for something that Scripture doesn't necessarily make a strong case for. Uh, there's a doctrine that is called the doctrine of um, preterition, preterition, that basically says, uh, yes, God does choose some for salvation, but the rest he just passes over and leaves them to the condemnation that was already on them for their sin. That's the the view that many Christian leaders have held. Uh, It's the view that Charles Spurgeon held. It's the view that I held. Here's what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, predestination does not involve reprobation. So reprobation is this whole idea that uh, God chooses that some people will um, be damned to hell because their, their mind has been shut down to uh, the things of God, and that God is the one who shuts their mind down for that. Now, Spurgeon says, predestination does not involve reprobation. There may be some who hold unconditional reprobation. I stand not here as their defender. Let them defend them th- themselves as best they can. If man be lost, damnation is all of man. But if man be saved, still salvation is all of God. I agree with Spurgeon on that. I agree that any man damned to hell will deserve to be there. I believe that 
The sin that he chose in his lifetime led him there. And I believe that, yes, God chose some to be his, and the rest he just passed over and left them to the condemnation that was already on them for their sin. So predestination does not mean God chose people for hell. It doesn't mean that we don't make choices ourselves. That's what his predestination does not mean. Let's talk about what his predestination does mean. What does his predetermined love actually mean? Verse 5, again, tells us, verse 5 says that he predestined us for adoption as sons. Now, when we use that word predestined, it's obviously an English word broken up into two parts. Predestination, right? Pre means before, destination, the place where you're going. So, in verse 5, where is the place that people are going? The place that people are going according to verse 5 is that they are going to himself. Like God predestined us for adoption to himself. Some people are going to God. Some people aren't, right? So, so these people are going to God. God predestined us for adoption to himself. So when Ephesians 1 talks about predestination, it's talking about God determining that some would be with him, be his people, be in his family. And of course, this is one of the most controversial doctrines in Scripture, as I mentioned before, just totally debated. There's way more uh, to study, worthy of study in this doctrine than I can cover in a 30-minute sermon. But I do want to give you kind of two major schools of thought when it comes to understanding predestination, uh, two views that believers have held throughout the years. The first view of predestination is called the foreknowledge view. Um, The second view is called the foreordination view. Two different views. The foreknowledge view says that God, uh, being all-knowing of everything, including all future events, looked through the corridors of time, and he saw who would indeed end up trusting Christ as Savior, and then he chose them. Right? That's the foreknowledge view. The foreordination view is that God, simply out of his own good pleasure and goodwill, planned history from its beginning to its end, and chose before time to make some people his own. So, foreknowledge says God, knowing who would choose him, he chose them. Foreordination says God chose them, and then down the course of time, they would therefore choose him. Now, those are two different views, and there have been strong believers who have adhered to both views throughout the time of church history. So, for instance, the foreknowledge view was held by people like church father uh, Erasmus and uh, people like Jacobus Arminius and John Wesley and Charles Finney and more recently people like Norm Geisler who started Dallas Theological Seminary and the great evangelist Billy Graham, right? They were all foreknowledge guys. Then you have the foreordination view and that's where people like Augustine and Martin Luther and John Calvin and Jonathan Edwards and, again, more recently, people like Francis Schaeffer and J.I. Packer and R.C. Sproul and these guys, they, they hold this view. So men, you know, these men, all of them were powerful men of the faith, you know, loved the Lord with their whole heart, but they had different understandings of predestination. And there's going to be people in our church who have different understandings of predestination, right? And we need to be a church that's, that's okay with that. Like, we... We have to say, okay, there is enough, um, there's, a, there's enough charity in our hearts to be able to love people who see this a little differently than us, no matter what view we hold, right? 
We, our sign says University Baptist Church. It doesn't, it doesn't say University Free Will Baptist Church. It also doesn't say University Reformed Baptist Church. Why? It's because we want to be a church that has a loving enough heart to say, you know what? There will be brothers and sisters in Christ in both camps in this church, just as there has been throughout church history for the past 2,000 years. Now, inevitably, I know that some of you guys are going to wonder, okay, well, that's great, Jason, but you're preaching the word most weeks, week in and week out. We need to know where you stand. Okay, I'll just tell you. Here's where, here's where I stand. I hold the foreordination view of predestination. I believe that God, before the earth was created and time unfolded, I believe that God chose some to be His, and then as time goes, we become His. I believe that man is totally depraved, not partially depraved. And again, this whole doctrine of total depravity, it, it doesn't mean that man is... Mankind is as sinful as they possibly can. It just means that the total, like man in his totality is depraved. Every part of us is broken in some way because of sin. And so because of that, my will, my desires are broken as well. And, and the way that that plays out in real life is that because my will is tainted by sin and depraved, there's no part of my sinful will that would choose to cooperate with God and his gospel and the call to repentance and faith unless God had changed my heart's desire and my will in the first place. All right, so I affirm God's election before time began. I affirm total depravity. I believe that the Bible clearly teaches God's election and that we can see it from start to finish through the scripture, through God choosing Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That God chose Israel to be his people and not the Philistines and the Amalekites and all these others. That God chose them. I, I believe that when Jesus came on the scene, he chose his disciples and he said, I chose you, you didn't choose me. I believe that God chose those who would be in his church, Jews and Gentiles, to graft the Gentiles in and all these things that God has done by his sovereign, perfect will and pleasure. So that's my understanding of Scripture. And that's where I stand. I just want you to know it. I hope that even if you disagree with me, that you can have charity in your heart towards me. And I, my goal, Lord willing, is to extend charity to you if you hold a different view than me. But here's the thing. Regardless of your view on predestination, whether you hold the foreordination view like me or you hold the foreknowledge view like many other precious believers in church history, here's what I hope we all can agree on. I hope that we can all agree that God predestined us to himself and that he did it in love. The scripture says it plainly. We don't need to avoid the doctrine of predestination. You know, I hope that we embrace it as part of God's good will and his perfect word that he has given to us. You know, it's just sometimes we can wrestle with how do we understand it? And maybe sometimes the, the answer to best understanding it, sometimes it's just sitting there in plain sight. And maybe we have a good hint here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, right? Verse 4 says that in love, God predestined us. And then verse 5 says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, Adoption is such a wonderful word picture when it comes to this whole idea of God's predestining work. I want you to think about how adoption pictures this. I want you to think about a baby who gets adopted by adoptive parents. Those babies, like that adoptive baby, they are just chosen by the, the parents who are doing the adopting, right? That baby hasn't earned the, the parents' love in any way. They haven't 
They haven't lived right. In many cases, they're not even out of the womb yet. They haven't even been cute, right? They're just, they're just you know, loved beforehand, right? The, the, the baby certainly doesn't choose the parent. The, the adopted baby just sets their, you know, the, the adoptive parents just set their heart on the child and they choose to love him or her and make that child their own. And guys, I think that's what Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 is trying to show us, that that's the way it works with God, with us. Like, we didn't earn his love. We didn't earn his heart. We didn't earn his choosing. Like, we didn't make ourselves so choosable. We didn't make ourselves so lovable. Right? He just, in our sin and in our imperfections, he just chose us. We don't know why. He just did it. Like an adoptive parent choosing their adopted child. Verse 5 says that he just did it according to the purpose of his will. So when you think of predestination, I hope you'll think of it like adoption. And I hope it amazes you. And if, if the whole idea that God adopted you, if that doesn't amaze you enough, I hope you are amazed even more by what we read in our text, right? That God didn't just choose you to be his own he chose you before there was a you. This is the wonders of his love. Like This is what verse 4 says in our text, that even as he, God, chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. Right? This is an amazing truth for every Christian right here. That in eternity past, before you ever breathed your first breath, before you were in your mother's womb, before your parents were ever made, before anyone was ever made, before anything was ever made, God chose that you would be joined with his son and thereby accepted by him that just as Jesus is holy and blameless before God, so now you, if you are in Christ, are considered holy and blameless before God as well accepted by him. So last week I shared this, you know, and kind of went into it in a lot more detail, but like if you have believed in Christ crucified, buried, and risen again, then the scripture says that you have been saved and that you have been placed in Christ. You have been joined to Christ through faith. And so now, you know, all the love that God has for his son, he now extends to you. And every spiritual blessing that is Christ's is yours. He chose to adopt you and to give you the same love that he gives his son. And he made that choice before he ever made the world. That's what his predetermined love does mean. So we've talked about what it doesn't mean. We've talked about what it does mean. Let's now talk about how his predetermined love leads us to respond. Because it compels a response. Like you right now are hearing about God's love and you, you have to choose a response. You, you can respond positively, you can respond negatively, you can respond indifferently, which is basically the same as negatively. But in some way or another, you are going to respond to this idea of God's predetermined love. So how does God want us to respond? Let's look at verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6 says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Why? 
to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Whenever it comes to predestination, I mean, people really get wrapped around the why question. Like, why? Why would God choose some? Why does God choose some? Why would He elect some? Why would He predetermine before the world began that some are going to be His own? And we wonder, like, why, why, why? When, again, the Scripture tells us so plainly, here's why. He does it for the praise of His glorious grace. So that you and I, when we think about our salvation, will just say, there's no good reason that God should love me, yet he's done it. That by his own grace, by his own goodwill towards us, not by any merit of our own, not because we've been such godly people, not just because we've been a good person, like good individuals, not because we've become so lovely in God's eyes. God has just chosen to extend his love to us. So we praise him for his glorious grace and that's why if you're a christian that's why he's chosen you so that you will praise him for his grace that's the proper response now not everybody responds positively like that sometimes we get negative responses when we're talking about god's predestining love one of the negative responses that you get is frustration right so frustration kind of looks like this sometimes people will say well I don't like this doctrine of predestination. And I would say, well, why not? Well, it's not fair. Well, why isn't it fair? Because maybe God didn't choose me. And I would say, well, we can figure that out right now. How? Well, if you'll just choose him, then you'll know he's chosen you. Well, I don't want to choose God. Okay, that's fine, but it shouldn't bother you then that you're not chosen. <laughs> and if you do choose him, then you'll realize I'm chosen, and it's wonderful. Well, I just don't want to. Okay, well, then you're not chosen. I mean, that's how this should shake out. Frustration, there's this unnecessary frustration that sometimes gets expressed when people haven't really grasped the truth about God's predetermined love. There's another negative response, though, that I want to address, um, and that is sometimes people re respond with frustration. Other times, people who have grasped God's predetermined love, sometimes they respond with arrogance, and it is incredibly ungodly. Arrogance sometimes kind of raises its ugly head from people in the church who it's like some people will, will grasp predestination and election and these things and they can't help themselves but look down on everybody else who doesn't get it. Or if people maybe just disagree with them and, and they don't share the same view on Calvinism or election or the doctrines of grace, you know, some people, they would, they're just way more interested in fighting than loving. And it's a big problem. It's ungodly. It's what the scripture is talking about when it says that some people, like that when the scripture says that knowledge puffs up that's what it is a lot of puffy christians really no substance to their faith right because love is the substance love is is what uh, is truly strong and this was definitely my experience early on when i was kind of studying and looking into these doctrines of predestination i met some people who really embraced calvinism and reformed theology and doctrines of grace and uh 
they were so mean and so argumentative and so rude and so minimizing and dismissive of other people's thoughts that here's, here's, what it, here's my initial reaction. You're so rude that even if you're right, I don't want to believe what you believe. Because of how unloving they were. And so it kind of turned me off initially to this whole idea of even thinking much about this. But then as time went on, I met a whole different group of people. People who embraced the doctrines of grace and election and predestination and all of these things, but they weren't jerks about it. You know, they, instead of just trying to argue with me, all they did was basically say, hey, here's some passages of Scripture. Go read them for yourself. Then they gave me this book by R.C. Sproul called Chosen by God. And it helped me not just understand the doctrine of predestination, but helped me rejoice in it and be thankful for it. And I, I watched these people, and they, they weren't arrogant when it came to their understanding of predestination. You know, they would talk about it, and they would get tears of thankfulness in their eyes. And they weren't trying to argue about who was chosen. They were just thankful that they had been. And here's the truth. Those who have come to a truly biblical view of God's loving predestination, they will be marked by a humble thankfulness. Praising God for His glorious grace. So in our church, let's avoid the negative response of frustration. Let's avoid the negative response of arrogance. And let's embrace the biblical appropriate response of humble thankfulness, praising God for His glorious grace. If you're saved this morning, are you thankful that God chose you? Yes. Amen. I'm right there with you. I'm so grateful that God chose me. I don't know why, but He did. And in many ways, it's a mystery when you reflect on your own testimony and all the mistakes you've made and the things you continue to make. And you, Why would God love you with this relentless love? Next week, we're going to talk about His unbreakable love. Why would He love you with that? He just chose to. Charles Spurgeon said this. Charles Spurgeon said, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should have never chosen him. <laughs> I like this. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. <laughs> All right? So, like you, like I read that and I kind of chuckled and I have to say like, here it is. It's funny, but it's actually not accurate, okay? Like, uh, here's why. Listen, God knew everything his people would ever do, the worst of their mistakes, and he still chose to place his affections on them. He knew about Moses' failures and disobedience. He knew about David's adultery beforehand. He knew Peter's denial of him was going to come. He knew about Thomas's doubts. He knew all of their flaws. He knows all of your flaws. He knows all of my flaws. He knows the worst things we ever have done and the worst things we ever will do. And he still looks at you and says, I love you. And my love for you is never going away. He knows us and he still chose us. I love how Scott Dixon says this when he preaches sometimes. He says, God is the one who knows you the best 
and he loves you the most. He knows us, and he still chose us. Oh, the wonders of his love, his predetermined love. Just like last week, I want us to close today with a responsive reading of Scripture. And today's responsive reading is going to come from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. And this Old Testament passage, um, kind of thinking this through and talking it out with some other people in our church, you know, it's just one of those passages that really shows us that God's predetermined love has been part of his heart for his people from the beginning. It's not just a new, co- new covenant, New Testament concept. It has been this way from the beginning. It's a great reminder that he had a predetermined love for Abraham. He had a predetermined love for Israel. He has a predetermined love for his disciples and the apostles and for every one of us who are his through Jesus. So I want to ask you to stand, if you will, right where you are. Just stand. And you'll see on the screen in just a moment that we've taken these words from Deuteronomy 7 and changed them from kind of like the individual perspective to the collective perspective of God's people as a whole. And I just want to ask you, when you see the underlined portions of the word on the screen, you read those underlined portions right out loud. And the parts that are not underlined, I'll just read for us. So let's go through this together. For we are a people holy to the Lord our God. The Lord our God has chosen us to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because we were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on us and chose us. For we were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves us and is keeping the oath that he swore to our fathers that the Lord has brought us out with a mighty hand and redeemed us from the house of slavery. Know, therefore, that the Lord our God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Praise be to God for his predetermined love. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you first loved us. Thank you that we are one of the future generations that you chose to set your heart on. We are one of the thousand generations that you spoke of way back when you had Moses write these words now. And Lord, I pray for future generations, my children, grandchildren, all of our children and grandchildren, that there would be future generations who get to rejoice in your steadfast, unbreakable, inherent, predetermined love that you have committed to us. And I thank you for Christ and his sacrifice for our sin so that our price is paid and we are yours. Thank you, Lord, that you chose us. What a joy to be called your child. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.